When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forts Anopoly Cultural Podcast. Podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. I hope everyone is doing well. In case you're wondering, I'm doing very well after Saturday's game. We've got another great episode for you today. We're going to change the order just a little bit and we'll start by reviewing Napoli versus Inter because that's really the biggest news story for me right now. In part two, we'll cover the latest news around Serie A, Europe, and Napoli. And in part three, we'll preview the Coppa Italia final to be played on Wednesday between Napoli and Juventus. So getting right into it, let's start with Napoli's Coppa Italia semifinal match on Saturday. 122 days since the first leg of this tie. It is brilliant to have Coucher back this weekend, and this a match that promises much in Naples. Couple in the Coppa Italia. Over the head of him, it's snuck in, and Inter have taken the lead direct from the corner kick. Dreadful defending confusion at the back from Napoli, and Inter have the perfect start in this second leg. Back it goes to Young again. And Lukaku's had a good save by Ospina. Can he hold off the challenge? He's played the pass. Great ball. And they've equalised. Hit by Eriksson, who certainly drove that with pace towards goal. Saved by Ospina. So I'm going to start the match review with a bit of a self-assessment. So what I'll do is I'll go through some of the points I made in the preview and compare that to what actually happened in the match but I'm going to change the order around that a little bit as well. So let's start with the lineups. Inter started the exact lineup we thought they would, and they lined up in a 3-4-1-2 formation. Handanovic started in goal. The back line was Bastoni, De Vrij, and Skriniar. 
Young and Kandreva played as wing backs, and Brozovic and Barella played in the middle, and Eriksen played as the trequartista, and up top were Lautaro and Lukaku. Napoli had a few surprises in their 4-3-3 lineup. Ospina started in goal, and there was plenty of drama with him, which we'll get to in just a bit. LCQ Sai started at left back over Mario Rui. Koulibaly, Maximovic, and Di Lorenzo rounded out the back line. Deme played in his usual regista spot. Zielinski was paired with Elif Elmas in the middle. Elmas started over Fabian Ruiz, who Gattuso reportedly rested due to muscle fatigue and therefore to avoid injury. And up top were Insigne, Mertens, and Politano. And I would have preferred to see Callejon on the right wing, but Politano didn't do too bad. Something that surprised me was that neither side made a substitution until the 65th minute when Napoli replaced Politano with Callejon and Elmas with Fabian. And I thought these were both excellent substitutions from Gattuso. I thought Politano actually had a decent first half. His passing wasn't great at the start. He overhit a switch for Insigne. But we saw a number of players on both sides play wayward balls early in the match, so I'll chalk that one up to Rust. But Politano did win a few fouls, including one that earned Ashley Young a yellow card, another foul from Ashley Young that probably should have been a yellow card, and a free kick in a pretty dangerous area that Merton smashed into the wall. He also blocked a Handanovic clearance that nearly landed for Merton's, but the Belgian slipped so nothing came of it. So I thought that Politano had a decent first half, but he faded away in the second half to the point where I would have liked to see this substitution come just a little bit sooner. Elmas was pretty disappointing for me, we hardly heard his name called while he was on, and the decision to start Elmas did feel somewhat like a game time decision. The first rumor I saw about this was perhaps an hour or two before kickoff, so he may not have been mentally prepared to play. Milik replaced Mertens in the 74th minute, and that also made sense to me. Mertens was looking pretty tired, and Milik offers height, which would help in defending the lead. And perhaps it was because Milik came on at a point in the match where the club sat back to defend, or perhaps it was because he has his mind on Juventus, but Milik didn't really do much to impress me. Gattuso used his final two substitutions in the 85th minute. He replaced Zielinski with Alan and Insigne with Amin Yunus. Both of these subs provided some fresh legs to close out the match, which ended up being 10 minutes when you include the 5 minutes of added time. And by the way, am I the only one who thought that 5 minutes was a little bit excessive? Other than Barella going down, I don't recall too many stoppages. But anyway, I liked the Alan substitution, though again, I would have liked to see that sooner. Zelinski looked exhausted, and I didn't think he did too much in this match. Also, Napoli pretty much defended the whole half. Eunice was definitely a shock substitution, which led many to conclude that Gattuso really does not favor Lozano, and justifiably so. Maybe you can say that Gattuso felt that Eunice is a better defender than Lozano, but that's probably a stretch. When you factor in both wings, this substitution puts Lozano, the club's most expensive signing in history, fifth on the depth charts for wingers, which is absolute madness. Inter didn't use their first substitutions until the 72nd minute, which was really surprising to me. Conte replaced Lautaro with Alexi Sanchez, Candreva with Victor Moses, and Ashley Young with Cristiano Biraghi. So let's start with Lautaro. He was really disappointing for Interisti, I'm sure. I thought Sanchez did more in the 18-plus minutes he played than Lautaro did in his 72 minutes. Only a few minutes after coming on, he had a shot go just wide of the far post, and he set up an Ericsson opportunity with a cheeky little backheel pass in the 77th minute, 
that required an excellent save from Ospina. One of the things we talked about in the preview was mindsets, which I'll get to in a minute, but one thing I overlooked was Lautaro's mindset in particular, and whether the transfer rumors of him going to Barcelona would be a distraction, and it certainly felt like he was not 100% focused on this match. On the wingbacks, I have to say that I was very impressed with their fitness levels. Wingback is one of the most physically demanding positions, so I did not expect them to last 72 minutes after a three-month-long absence. Antonio Candreva really impressed me, especially in the first half. I don't know if Inter's game plan was to always attack the right wing, or if this was a reaction to Napoli starting Kusai over Mario Rui, but Kusai really struggled to defend Candreva. And Candreva had an opportunity in the first half that I suppose you could say he should have passed, with Lautaro and Young both in the area, but he did get a powerful shot off from close range, and it was pretty accurate going towards the top corner. But again, Ospina was up to the task. I do think we were correct in predicting that the wingback play would suffer when Young and Kandreva were replaced. Victor Moses didn't do much for me. He missed an excellent scoring opportunity, which he skied over the bar. Biragi did better than I expected he would. He played a few dangerous crosses into the box, but Inter didn't do much with them. But it did seem that Inter attacked more on the left wing after they made these changes. Conte used his final two substitutions in the 88th minute, which in my opinion was way too late. He replaced the Vrij with Ranocchia, which was probably just to give the Vrij a bit of rest. He also replaced Eriksen with Sensi, which I think he should have done sooner, perhaps in the 80th minute. Granted, Eriksen seemed to be getting all of Inter's scoring opportunities, but that's a lot of running and not a lot of time for Sensi to make a difference. And given that Inter's attack was almost entirely from the wings, Sensi's only value would be to get the ball to the wingers, he certainly wasn't going to win any aerial duels. Based on how late Conte made his substitutions, I do give Inter credit. I think they were focused on winning this match. Other than Lautaro, who, like I mentioned, may have been distracted by a possible move to Barcelona, Inter came out focused and I think they put in a strong performance. They dominated all major statistics, possessions, scoring opportunities, shots on target, etc., also, the 3-4-1-2 formation seemed to work just fine. They played it pretty much exactly the same as the 3-5-2, with most of the attack coming from the wings, and then when they defended, Eriksen dropped back, so they actually defended in the 3-5-2. One thing I didn't consider before the match is that Conte might have had different game plans depending on how the first half went. If Inter won the first half 2-0, for example, perhaps he would have made changes sooner to rest some of his key players for a potential final. But because Inter still needed to score, he kept those players out longer, possibly thinking that if Inter didn't advance, then they would get a week off before their first Serie A match against Sampdoria. The only risk with this approach, I suppose, is that if Inter did score a second goal late in the match, he would have had a tired squad in the final. But considering that Inter haven't won a cup in nearly a decade, that may have been a calculated risk. Even though I'm of the view that Inter are still in contention for the Scudetto, I think if they reach the finals, then the Coppa Italia would become their top priority, and perhaps they would then play more of a backup squad against Sampdoria. Okay, so that pretty much covers the points we made in the preview. I do want to talk a little bit about the goals, so let's start with Inter's goal. Ospina took a lot of flack for this one, at least on social media. And he should have done better, but I think others were culpable on this play as well, particularly Giovanni Di Lorenzo. First, this goal came off of a corner kick, and the build-up to the corner started with a Di Lorenzo pass up the middle that was cut off by Skriniar, I believe. 
I won't fault De Lorenzo too much for that. He really didn't have too many options, and the long pass is essentially like a clearance. Skriniar played the ball to Eriksen, who picked out Kendreva's run on the wing. I thought Zielinski and Kusai could have done better to stop Kendreva's run. They seemed content to keep him to the outside, and Zielinski gave up on the play once Kusai stepped up rather than trying to win the ball, and that allowed Kendreva to get a cross in which Di Lorenzo chested out. I thought Di Lorenzo had more time, but again as a defender you're taught to always play it safe and Lautaro was lurking, so I didn't necessarily have a problem with him playing the ball out. Where I do think Di Lorenzo should have done better is on the corner kick. He appeared to duck under the cross rather than trying to head it out. Elmas and Maksimovic were also nearby and neither of them got to the ball either. Ospina likely didn't have a clear view of the ball with all the traffic in front of him, so I think it's a harder play to make than we probably think. In any event, Ospina more than made up for it after that. I mentioned the saves he made on Kandreva and on Eriksen in the second half. He made a really good save on a Lukaku header in the first half, which was one of the few times, if not the only time of the match, that Koulibaly lost an aerial duel. And he stopped a long-distance free kick from Eriksen in the second half. But arguably, the best play that Ospina made in the match was not any of his saves. It might have been the outlet pass he played to Insigne on Napoli's goal. There's been a lot of debate about who should be the starting keeper for Napoli. Gattuso seems to prefer Ospina, and most Napoli tifosi want to see Meret, myself included. I think sometimes when I defend Ospina, people think that I prefer him to Meret, which is not the case. I just think that because we want Meret to play, we look for reasons why Ospina should not play. I think I've said it before on the pod, but my expectation is that Ospina will remain Gattuso's number one for the balance of the season, but because of COVID-19, I think that Meret will still get at least a third of the starts. The good news for Napoli supporters is that Ospina picked up a yellow in this match for time-wasting, which means he'll miss the final for yellow card accumulation, so we will actually see Meret on Wednesday. But back to the goal, you have to give Insigne and Mertens a lot of credit here too. Because this counter started from an Inter corner, Inter's entire back line were caught out. The two players defending the counter-attack were Christian Eriksen and Ashley Young. Insigne did really well to receive the pass. Then he cut out in front of Eriksen and shielded the ball to give Mertens time to join the attack. And then he played a perfectly weighted pass for Mertens who kept his composure like you would expect a striker to do. And he put it in the back of the goal. Mertens had three or four attempts at goal prior to this one. And here we saw the chemistry that Mertens and Insigne have developed together over the years and that perhaps does not exist, at least not to the same extent, between Insigne and Milik. I thought both Mertens and Insigne put in strong performances. They both tracked back quite a bit to help defend, especially in the second half. And of course, that goal made Dries the top goal scorer of all time for Napoli with 122 goals. The last thing I want to talk about briefly is the performance of Napoli's center backs, who I thought stole the show. Maksimovic was the man of the match for me. He was always going to dominate Lautaro in the air, but he also made a number of key interceptions on the ground. And I think even though there was a long break, Maksimovic definitely benefited from all the playing time he got while Koulibaly was out. And speaking of Koulibaly, I thought he put in a very strong performance as well. This was the closest I've seen from him to what we've come to know and love over the years. Other than losing that aerial duel to Lukaku that Ospina stopped, I thought Koulibaly completely shut down Lukaku. He played him very tight, he made his presence known with a few fouls, and he was calm on the ball when he was receiving passes and distributing the ball. So those are my thoughts on the match. 
I can't wait for the final, which we'll preview in part 3, but first we'll cover the latest news. Okay, so we have a bit of a lighter news cycle than we normally do. Starting on Serie A, on Thursday there will be another FIGC meeting, and among the topics on the agenda are contracts that expire on June 30th, 2020, and broadcasting in the clear, which is basically broadcasting matches on cable TV. At the same time, Minister of Sport Vincenzo Spadafora continues to work with broadcasters, not just Sky, but also Mediaset and others. Again, Spadafora feels that Viewers have the right to see more than a couple of matches on TV, and he's trying to discourage social gatherings. And the undersecretary to Spadafora, Sandra Zampa, told Radio Kiss Kiss Napoli that there is a possibility that stadiums could be partially reopened in July with certain measures in place. A lot of people that are pushing to have spectators at matches are pointing to the fact that Prime Minister Conte approved the reopening of cinemas and theaters, So if it's acceptable to have people go there, then it should also be acceptable for people to go to football matches. Moving on to Europe, La Liga resumed play on Thursday with the Sevilla Derby between Sevilla and Real Betis. Groups of fans gathered outside the Ramon Sanchez P1 Stadium before the match, which is really frustrating. This behavior is stupid, it's selfish, and at the end of the day, it could ruin football for everyone. A moment of silence was observed before the match started as well. And while I appreciate the efforts to make this look, sound, and feel like a normal match, if it's not going to be done well, then I'd much rather not have those gimmicks. The match featured artificial crowd noise, but it was hardly audible, and visual fans were superimposed on the stands, though the quality of those visual fans was probably what you would see in a Nintendo 64 or the first generation of PlayStation, and what it made it worse was that the fans were only superimposed on the wide-angle shot, but not on any other angles. Speaking of stupid, Barcelona's Nelson Semedo was caught breaking La Liga's COVID protocols. Apparently he went to a birthday party with over 20 people and someone posted a picture on social media. Though he tested negative, Semedo was forced to train on his own on Thursday. Now Semedo was the only one recently that was stupid enough to get caught, but I'm sure there are plenty of others breaking the rules. Most of these players are very young, I get that, but all it takes is for one positive test to end all of football, and when I see stories like this, I fear that it's only a matter of time. In Sweden and England, the moment of silence will be observed before the start of those leagues. The Premier League clubs will also wear a heart-shaped badge on their jerseys as a tribute to national health workers. There have been conflicting reports about the remaining Champions League round of 16 matches, German media outlet Bild is reporting that these matches will be played in Lisbon, which is where the quarterfinals, semifinals, and final are likely to be played. Meanwhile, Sky Sport is reporting that those matches will be played in the originally scheduled venues. In the Serbian Football League, the Belgrade Derby between Partizan and Stella Rosa 
was played in front of 16,000 spectators. And UEFA confirmed that they will meet on June 17th and 18th to discuss a number of competition, including this year's and next year's Champions League and Europa League, as well as Euro 2020 and the 2022 World Cup. Moving on to Napoli news, club president Aurelio De Laurentiis made headlines once again. Ahead of Napoli's Coppa Italia match against Juventus, he told Correa dello Sport that he wanted to keep Sarri at Napoli and that Sarri betrayed him for money. He also said that he should have fired Ancelotti after his first season. Sticking with De Laurentiis, he also advised that players will receive any wages that they have not been paid, which are for the months of March, April, and May, but those payments will not come for some time as the club has suffered significant losses due to COVID-19. And finally, Alessandro Cosentino, who's the leader of Curve B, confirmed to Radio Punto Novo that there will not be any fans gathering outside of the Stadio San Paolo. He said, for the common sense that we have, we will not do any gathering. So that's it for the news. In part three, we'll preview Napoli versus Juventus. Even though we've now had the opportunity to see both Juventus and Napoli play a post-COVID-19 match, the outcome of this match is still very difficult to predict, but we're going to try. In part 1, we reviewed Napoli's second leg against Inter, so let me take a few minutes to give you a few observations about Juve's second leg against Milan. Juve drew their first leg 1-1 at the San Siro, so they had the crucial away goal, which meant the pressure was on Milan to score. Chiellini, Ramsey, and Higuain were not fit to play for this match for Juve. Teo Hernandez, Castileo, and Ibrahimovic were all suspended for Milan, and Ibrahimovic has a calf injury, so even if he wasn't suspended, he probably wouldn't have played. Juve opened the match well, and on a few occasions we saw glimpses of Sadi ball, but usually that stopped when the ball got to Ronaldo, who seems like he can't help but take two or three touches when the ball comes his way. Most of the excitement happened in the 16th minute. First, VAR awarded Juventus a penalty for a handball on Andrea Conti, and that was the right decision, by the way. I still see so many people on Twitter saying, ball to hand, that's not what the rule is. The rule is if the ball touches any part of the arm, it's a penalty. The problem is the rule itself, not the enforcement of it. Anyhow, Ronaldo stepped up and hit the post, and the replay showed that Donnarumma actually got a hand to the ball, which was really remarkable. 
But then, only a minute later, Antti Rebic was shown a straight red for an incredibly dangerous tackle on Danilo. Again, this was the correct decision. That obviously changed the complexion of the match. However, despite being down a man, Milan held their own and even created a few scoring opportunities in the second half before they eventually ran out of gas. In the 63rd minute, Sadi made a triple substitution, bringing on Kadira for Pjanic, Rabiot for Matuidi, and Bernardeschi for Douglas Costa. An image was going around social media of Kadira, Rabiot, and Bernardeschi ready to come on, which really highlighted two things. The first is something we already knew, which is that Juventus's midfield really needs reinforcement. Bentancur has been their lone bright spot, and I don't mind Matuidi, but the rest need to be replaced. And second, with Chiellini, Ramsey, and Iguain out, this club does not have as much depth as we thought they did. Juve held on for the nil-nil draw, which was enough to advance on aggregate, but altogether this was a pretty uninspiring performance from the Bianconeri. So that brings us to the final against Napoli. This match will be played on neutral ground at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. Napoli will play as the home side and Juve will play as the visitors, which is really just a formality. A lot can change over the next few days, but since our next pod won't be released until after the match, we'll do our best to project the starting lineups. Juventus will almost certainly line up in the 4-3-3. Even though Juve didn't play terribly well, I'm expecting Sadi to roll out the same starting 11 that he did against Milan. Gigi Buffon should get another start as the keeper as he plays all the cup matches while Szczesny plays in Serie A. And Buffon had very little to do against Milan so fitness should not be an issue for him even at 42 years old. Chiellini is expected to miss this match as well so the back four should be Alexandro, Matthias Delict. Leonardo Bonucci and Danilo, though I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Quadrado start over Danilo. In the midfield, you have Pjanic, Bentancur, and Matuidi. Ramsey is expected to miss this one as well, and I've heard some rumblings about Kadira possibly starting over Pjanic. And up top, you have Douglas Costa on the left, Dybala in the middle, and Ronaldo on the right, and I've also heard some rumblings about Quadrado starting over Douglas Costa, which obviously would mean that Danilo would remain at right back. Napoli will almost certainly play the 4-3-3 as well, with Ospina suspended, Alex Meret will start in goal. At the back, I think Mario Rui will still start at left back, Kusai struggled to mark Andreva in the Inter match. Also, I think Gattuso might have been saving Mario Rui knowing that if he got a yellow in the semi-final, then he would have been forced to miss the final. I expect Koulibaly, Maksimovic, and Di Lorenzo to round out the back line. Demet will likely remain in the Regista spot, and I think Zielinski will be paired with Fabian Ruiz instead of Elmas. The young Macedonian did not make much of an impact in the Inter match. Also, Fabian was rested because he had some muscle fatigue, and like Mario Rui, a yellow card would have caused him to miss the final. Up top, Insignia will start on the left and Mertens in the middle. I think Callejon will get the nod over Politano on the right. I thought Politano did okay against Inter, but I believe Callejon will start, which I'll explain why in just a bit. To assess how these clubs would match up, I really only looked at two matches. One is the Juve-Milan match, because that's really the only current data we have to work with, which is obviously way too small of a sample size. And I looked at the last time these two clubs met, which was a 2-1 Napoli win at the San Paolo back in January. So starting with the Milan match, a few things I noticed which are probably not unique to this match. 
Even though the front three are lined up with Costa on the left, Dybala as striker and Ronaldo on the right, Dybala and Ronaldo move around quite a bit. Ronaldo is a roamer so he's all over the pitch. There were times where Dybala would drift out wide and Ronaldo would slide into the middle. Dybala also plays more like a trequartista than a striker, dropping a bit deeper to collect the pass. Finally, the fullbacks play like wingbacks, so they'll make runs up and down the wings, and when they do, all three attackers tend to gravitate into the box. So that movement is going to create some different challenges for Napoli's backline than Inter did, where you knew that Young and Cantareva would play out wide, while Lukaku and Lautaro would play more centrally. Napoli's fullbacks will have to be careful not to get pulled into the middle when, say, Ronaldo heads into the area, and with either a midfielder like Bentancur or a fullback like Danilo overlapping. And at the same time, the center backs are going to have to look out for those runs into the box. Two players that I think will be very important for Napoli are Jose Callejon, assuming that he starts, and Diego Demme. The reason I think Callejon will get the nod is because Juve's left-back Alexandro likes to join the attack, so it will be important for Napoli's right winger to track back to support the D, which is the main reason I think Callejon will start over Politano. The other one is Diego Demme. Demme didn't feature too much in the match against Inter, but I think that had a lot to do with Inter favoring the wings, and yet he ran more than any other player in the match in terms of distance covered, which says a lot about his work rate. The reason why Demme will be important is because he'll need to pick up Dybala when he does drop deeper into that trequartista role. Moving on to the last time these clubs played each other, there's only so much we can garner from that match. Napoli's backline in that match was Mario Rui at left-back, Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Costas Manolas at centre-back, and LCQ Sai at right-back. That's really an odd backline for Napoli, but they managed to keep Juventus from scoring until added time when Ronaldo scored. And I have to think that Rui, Koulibaly, Maksimovic, and Di Lorenzo would be a stronger backline than that one was. The midfielders were identical to what we're projecting for this match, which was Demme, Zielinski, and Fabian versus Pjanic, Matuidi, and Bentancur. And Napoli won that midfield battle, and I think they should win it again on Wednesday. The last thing I'll talk about is the Juventus perspective. I reached out to a friend who also writes for World Football Index, and that also happens to be a Juventino named Daniel Lucci. Definitely recommend giving Daniel a follow on Twitter, at Daniele Luch, which is D-A-N-I-E-L-E-L-U-C-C. And Daniel's actually quite concerned about this match. He shares the same concern that most Juventini do about the midfield, which he thinks is especially vulnerable to the counterattack given their lack of pace. He also pointed out that a team is easy to shut down when they only have two game changers, being Dybala and Ronaldo, and the rest of the squad are still in preseason mode. I get that, but at the same time, both of those players are so talented that they can punish you even if you know the play will go through them and plan for it. In the match against Milan, there was a play where Dybala received the pass at the top of the box. He took two quick touches and fired a shot that tested Donnarumma. And it just showed that these guys don't need a ton of time or space to be dangerous. I also think that Juventus are going to benefit from having the extra day of rest. For my prediction, I'm going to go against the odds and take a bit of a long shot, which is a nil-nil draw with Napoli winning on penalty kicks. Obviously, an early goal would flip that prediction on its head and really open the game up, but I don't expect an early goal to come. 
I think both sides are going to start the match quite apprehensively. I think both sides will still be feeling the effects of the semi-final matches, which were only played three or four days ago, depending on which club. And I know that big clubs do have stretches where they play twice a week, but that doesn't often happen after a three-month layoff. And finally, I think Gattuso will play very defensively and try to counterattack. So all of that translates into a low-scoring affair for me. So that's my preview of the Coppa Italia final. That's also going to do it for episode 18. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod. You can also find my work on worldfootballindex.com. We'll talk to you again after the Coppa Italia final, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.